You are listening to Beyond the Whistle. Beyond the Whistle is the show that takes you beyond the X's and O's to provide tips and advice on the business of sports and how sports professionals can advance in their careers. Beyond the Whistle is brought to you by McCant Sports, a sports executive search and sports leadership consulting firm. Learn more at McCantSports.com. Welcome to Beyond the Whistle. I'm your host, Odell McCants, and thank you for listening. March Madness is finally here, and for college basketball fans, this time of the year means brackets. Fans are entering their NCAA tournament pools, filling out brackets, and probably losing to someone who hasn't watched a single game all season. They pick the winning team because their Aunt Sally went to school there, or they like the nickname or uniform colors. But for college basketball coaches and those working with coaches, March means change. Often referred to as the coaching carousel, this is the time of the year that some head coaches will advance to new jobs and some will be terminated. For assistant coaches, some will become head coaches for the first time, and some will step to an assistant coach position at a higher level program. And for those assistants whose head coach has been fired, they'll have to navigate the process of a lateral move or even taking a step down. My guest today is one of the leading advisors to college basketball coaches. As founder and president of the BDS agency, Brian Stanchek has, in just a few short years, grown the BDS agency into a leading boutique agency representing coaches of women's college basketball. Brian is a former college basketball coach and athletic director himself, so he's able to advise clients on their careers and job searches from experience on both sides of the process. Brian, welcome to Beyond the Whistle. Thanks so much, Odell. Really happy to be here and and share some information with you guys and, and your listeners. Great. So, Brian, at this time that we're recording this episode, most of the women's conference basketball tournaments have concluded and the men's conference tournaments are in full swing, which means what's commonly referred to as the coaching carousel has begun. Get started first with head coaches being let go by schools, and we've started to see that occur. And then those openings start to get filled with the head the hiring of other coaches, which in turn creates openings at their schools. And that's when the carousel's in full swing. So, Brian, as someone who represents college coaches, share with us what your days are like at this time of the year. Well, it's nonstop in terms of constantly and that revolving, never-ending to-do list. Because for me, what I'm doing is I'm having end-of-season conversations with my clients before they meet with their athletic administrators. I'm communicating with athletic directors regarding openings, gathering information on their openings, helping my clients revise their resumes and their portfolios. And then in the midst of this, negotiating new contracts or existing contracts for clients. And so every day is completely different, but there's a lot of different things and wheels in motion at this point of time from probably March to April, um, especially that, that I'm doing behind the scenes to really help my clients navigate and be as successful and protected in their current spot. Cause that's the, that's the only guarantee essentially they have is the job that they're currently in. And then, uh, if there's an opportunity to advance, uh, professionally, financially, then we're exploring it. So, you you know, you have a unique background of having served as a coach and administrator. Can you walk us through your your own career journey? Yeah, sure. So, you know, my intent to when I was 16 years old, which is when I got into coaching, because I was never the greatest player. And so for me, I had kind of known that if I wasn't going to play at a high level of 
college basketball that I'd want to be involved in a high level of college basketball. And so that's when I, my passion took over and I figured, well, why not start coaching and being able to learn the game and network and be able to break in as early as possible. So I started coaching um, when I was 16, started coaching high school ball. And then I went to Seton Hall to work for Tommy Amaker and Chris Collins, uh, who Chris had left for Duke the summer before I got there, but had a great year with them. Coach left from Michigan, stayed on staff and worked three years for Lewis Orr. And I mean, it was just a tremendous learning experience for me in terms of just development of the game and how to manage and lead a program and, and be a really good assistant coach. So after I had graduated from Seton Hall, I went on to the University of Pennsylvania and I worked for Fran Dunphy. I was coordinator of basketball operations. And so I worked for uh, on the men's and women's side. And so I worked for Fran Dunphy, where we had won the Ivy League championship and went to the NCAA tournament, which happened quite often under Coach Dunphy. So it wasn't anything that I did that was <laughs> that was special. And I worked for Patrick Knapp, who was the women's coach at the time. And I had a lot of conversations with Coach Knapp about my career and, and what I wanted. And he really opened my eyes to the women's side of college basketball. And I get a lot of calls from guys these days who want to make the switch because they think that going from the men's to women's side, they'll have an easier time becoming a head coach. That that was not me. It was, I want an opportunity to coach basketball and be able to really return back to Jersey to do so, which is where I'm from. And so I was fortunate enough to be provided a top assistant and recruiting coordinator spot at Fairleigh Dickinson up in Teaneck, the Division One campus, and was there for two years before returning to my alma mater at Seton Hall, where I coached for three years. And once my head coach at the time, Phyllis Mangina, had decided to step away, I started reevaluating my career. And I realized that I wanted a little bit more personal and professional balance that you don't get as a coach, but really love being in the college athletics atmosphere. And so I was fortunate enough to be provided straight from there athletic director role where I was named director of athletics and recreation over at Penn State Wilkes-Barre and it was an outstanding opportunity to learn the administrative side of it and invaluable to me in terms of the information that I gained to be able to provide to my clients these days and so at the time what I was doing is advising a lot of my coaching colleagues former coaching colleagues on handling situations with their administrators, negotiating contracts, interview preparation. And some of these coaches were having success either working through their issues or obtaining new positions or making more money. And I thought, well, heck, I'm not benefiting from this. And I thought that there could be a really good value from having the experience on both sides of the table as a coach and AD to provide insight to really help my clients grow. So that's that's how I got into my field. I'm not someone who just went to law school, decided that, hey, I can make money off coaches. I'm sincerely invested in helping my clients and, and coaches in general just because of I understand what they go through and the sacrifices they make on a daily basis. Yeah, that's that's great background. And first, I have to go back to the Tommy Amaker mention because growing up in Northern Virginia, and Tommy's a couple of years older than me. Tommy was my idol, Brian. I uh, I admired Tommy as a person, and I wanted to be and do everything Tommy did. And I still, he's someone I still admire greatly today. 
Yeah, I think that I learned more that one year working for him than I did anywhere else. I mean, just in terms of what he brought to Seton Hall, and he had already been there for a couple of years, but the way that the program was ran top to bottom in terms of everything in just a first-class manner was unbelievable. And I say that with all sincerity that he's the reason I went to Seton Hall. I wanted to learn from him. You know, he was, I had gotten to know him working through, working summer basketball camps. And there was no way at the time I wanted to go anywhere else to learn from anyone else. And so obviously I was devastated when he had went to Michigan. But, you know, for me, he's always been a mentor and someone I've always kept in touch with and, and looked up to. I actually had a chance to visit with him a couple months ago over at Harvard. And he's just doing phenomenal things. And I think that's a that's a great environment for him and his wife over there at Harvard. He's only going to continue to do better and better things for them and that program. Yeah. So, Brian, you mentioned a little bit of it previously, you know, how you're working with your clients during this time of the year. What services do you provide and how are you working with them throughout the rest of the calendar year? That's an advantage that I have and that I choose to have over other agents in the sense that I'm only working with basketball coaches. Now, you know, we, we do have a few men's clients that have come recommended from either athletic directors or through my women's clients, but they're very minimal compared to my, my women's clients. Um, and I, and I like it that way, you know, because I, I want to have a really strong niche, especially in the women's basketball market. And so for me, working with my clients year round focused on women's basketball and basketball well, in general, coaches, I'm able to put in an effort towards them year round, not only when their job cycle is heating up. And so what I'm doing with them year round is continually having discussions with them about their career, working through situations that might be occurring trying to connect them with athletic administrators, being able to help prepare them for the off-season when they might start looking for jobs, providing them with information on career development. And so there's there's always things that are going on that I'm able to do, you know, some clients take more advantage of communication during the season. One thing I tell them before the season is, you know, listen, if you need something, you know, just let me know, but I'm not going to be a distraction to you um, unless it's something critical that I need you to know. You know, I've been a follower of yours on, on Twitter for a while, and I encourage you listeners to follow Brian on Twitter at BD Stan and his agency at the BDS Agency. And Brian, the thing that stands out with me about you on Twitter is the interaction you have with your clients. And it's both ways. You're sharing your support of them when they win games and when you visit one of their games or practice, and they in return are sharing their appreciation of what you do for them. I think it speaks volumes to the relationships you have with your clients. And man, let me tell you, coming from the player side of the agent business, that's not something I'm used to. <laughs> I mean, having a client appreciate what you do for them and share that on social media, I, I would have loved to have gotten just just that one time, we gotten something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't follow too many other, I don't think I follow any other agents on Twitter. Um, so I don't know what their clients are putting out there for them. But what I know is that I had someone, an athletic director, uh, say to me a couple weeks ago, they're like, Man, I have never, you know, seen anyone whose clients appreciate them and love their agent as much as they love you from what they're putting out there. And, <laughs> and that stuff is not 
provoked, you know, I don't ask them to do that. But obviously, it means a ton to me to know that my clients support me as much as I support them. And they know that, you know, I'm not someone out here trying to take on as many clients as possible to have the best odds at getting jobs. In fact, my philosophy is a lot different. My philosophy is less is more and I'm able to put that special attention to every client that they deserve. And so for me, I think that's really shown through and and the fact that, you know, I really do perceive us as a family and I don't get to, obviously at the end of the day, it's a business. And, but, you know, I think that my clients have, if I didn't know them previous to representing them, we've really developed a, a strong friendship as well. Yeah. It's very genuine and organic. I, I, I love to see that. And speaking of Twitter, you know, just yesterday, I, you, you tweeted what I think is a very profound statement. You said, if you're calling someone for help with a job and you haven't talked to them since you needed help, you know, last off season, you're wasting time. What, what exactly do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that relationships are developed in the off season. And so when I say the off season, typically for basketball coaches, that is in season. If you have not kept in touch and maintained a relationship with someone that can be an asset to you or help you with a job. And the only time you're reaching out to them after you have last spoken to them or they had last helped you is when you need help with something. Maybe it's making a call to an athletic administrator or a head coach on your behalf. The likelihood that they're going to do so or at least do so passionately is slim because they view it as a one-sided relationship. So that's what I mean by don't reach out when you need something. You know, I I had sent a tweet out today. Relationships are developed not the one day that you need something. It's the 364 days you don't. You know, that's that's important to be able to build a continuous relationship. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to call the person every week. But, you know, if you're sending them a message at Christmas or every couple months to check in, text message after a big game or calling to just say hi, you know, every few months. I mean, that's, that's fine. But if it's, if you go a a whole season and don't talk to the person and then all of a sudden you need them to make a call for you, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I personally, I try to check in and stay connected to my you know inner circle and, and advisors and, and network, if you will, about once every six months. And it's not something that, that that's, you know, scheduled on the calendar, but just as you mentioned, just kind of an organic reach out to show that you care. And then if you're doing it like every four, six months or so, you're not, you're you, exactly what you meant. You're not finding yourself reaching out when you need something. Yeah. I mean, I I see it this time of year too. I mean, my phone blows up with all these coaches who, who want representation because they want another job. And to me though, it's in the sense, the opposite of the way I want to work with my clients because I'm not a search firm. I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to get you another job. And so if you're only looking to build a relationship with me when you want to get another job, since I can't promise that, that that's going to happen, what's your feeling is going to be towards me if that doesn't happen, if you don't get that other job? And so I want us to build a strong enough relationship to know that, one, I know how to adequately help you reach your goals, but also to know that this is a long-term relationship and that there's no promise of immediate success from just 
coming on board and working with me. So, Brian, when you're working with a client who's active in, in a search in an in open position, you know, recognizing the fact that each search and placement is going to be unique, can you walk us through what the typical process or what that process or cycle looks like? Yeah. I mean, as you said, no search is exactly the same. Sometimes the athletic director will want to lead it exclusively. Sometimes the SWA will be leading the search and the athletic director will obviously make the final decision. And so every search is completely different. Search firms are starting to get involved a little bit more on the women's side. And so it's it's my job to find out as best I can, who are going to be those influential decision makers, who's going to be leading the process to be able to get in touch with them and be able to find out what they're looking for. And if I have clients that fit what they're looking for, who are interested, I'll be able to present it to them. You mentioned search firms. How often are you seeing search firms involved in hires of of your clients and on the women's side of the the game in general? You know, Last year, I felt like there was more than previous history. I I feel like there might have been four or five schools that had used a search firm. In the past, it was very uncommon for it to happen on the women's side. You know, the men's side, almost, it seems like every athletic director is using a search firm. This year, you know, I'm familiar with, I think, one or two that are going to be using a search firm. So, it's starting to become more prevalent, but the big money is for some of these firms or, or with the athletic directors and men's basketball and football searches. And so a lot of these these search firms aren't going to put a lot of resources towards the smaller end searches like women's basketball unless they want to use it as an in to be able to develop relationships with the schools to get those future searches. And when you are working with a client in one of these searches, what is your approach to positioning your client to be considered and interviewed for openings and, and how are you working with them you know, through that process? Well, again, it doesn't matter what I want, what they want. To an extent, it matters what the university wants. And so if I have a client that fits what they're looking for based on profile and experience, then I'm going to be honest with my clients and I'm going to tell them, listen, this is probably not likely or you fit what they're looking for. And if they don't fit what they're looking for, I'm never going to discourage them from applying, but I'm going to be honest and let them know that, you know, you might be spinning your wheels here. Uh, As far as the clients who are fit, we go through the process of trying to establish what their network is and who might be assets to be able to help them validate maybe some of the communication that I've had with athletic administrators of that school. And then we just work strategically through the process of making sure that any type of communication is discussed and be, is strategic. And if they're going to get an interview, we prep them for the interview as, as best as possible. I mean, I, I always say like, who better to prep a coach for an interview than a former athletic director who did interviews of coaches. And so, you know, we'll go through that interview process with them and and help them really put together a portfolio that's going to stand out. Does that process or even your your work throughout the year differ working with a head coach as opposed to an assistant coach? Or or do do you work with, with assistant coaches at all? In terms of assistant coaches who want to be head coaches or, or is that what you mean? Right, right. Correct. When I got started, you know, it was never my intent to get in the agent business and target BCS level head coaches. My intent was always to get in, to be able to 
work with coaches, assistant coaches, or non-Division One head coaches who were right on the verge of becoming a Division One head coach, who had that potential, just maybe little need a little extra exposure, little extra guidance, a little extra push to get over that hump. And so those, that's who I had started working with initially. And within the first three years, we've worked with 19 clients who became first-time Division One head coaches, whether they came from being assistant coaches or non-Division One head coaches. And so obviously our head coach client base is pretty large now, and that's only because we've had so many clients become head coaches. But you know, we also have uh, some outstanding assistant coaches who are who are ready to take that next step if an athletic director is is willing to provide it to them. In episode two of Beyond the Whistle, my friend Kevin Sutton, assistant men's basketball coach at University of Pittsburgh, shared that he believes an assistant coach's number one job is to help make his or her head coach successful. And I, I think you probably agree with that. Am, am I correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So with that in mind, how can assistant coaches balance their personal career aspirations with being their best on their current job, especially at this time of the year when teams and and coaching staffs need to really hyper focus on winning tournament games and championships. But at the same time, you have this job market, you know, open up at the same time that may have their interests as well. How can they best balance those two? Well, that can be an asset of working with an agent because my clients don't need to spend as much time trying to gather information on the position or help. I'll help in terms of helping them refine their resumes or cover letters or communication they might have with athletic administrators. So I feel like I save them a lot of time in that aspect. But it it's critical year round to be able to spend and focus a little bit of time on you. And what I mean by that is I always say take 25 minutes a day to spend on you um, with networking because you get in the habit of it. And what it's going to do is it's not going to put you behind when, as we talked about before, you do need something from someone. And so to take 25 minutes each day throughout the course of the season and when things are busy to be able to send some emails, some texts, some uh, make a phone call to be able to continue that development that's going to help you. At the end of the day, getting a head coaching job, everything needs to be played perfect. I mean, the process needs to be played perfect. The communication from yourself and those around you who can validate you need to be played perfectly. And so, yeah, it can be a challenge sometimes, especially if uh, if an AD wants to move quickly with their search. But I think I've done a good job of working with my clients through those situations to be able to take some of that pressure off them um, when they do need to get information to the athletic administrator or find out if they're going to be a viable candidate or not so they're not um, – wasting our time thinking about it. A few years ago, and it may still be continued, there started the conversation around the perception or feeling that, I guess the numbers actually speak for themselves, that women coaches were not elevating within the game of basketball through the coaching ranks as quickly as men were. How how have you seen that change in the last couple of years on either side of that debate or, or, or conversation, I should say. I, I think that in general, you're seeing, I mean, there's, there's more emphasis placed, whether it's organizations that are involved in, in and around college basketball to be able to provide more opportunities for female coaches. 
And so I think that there has been a point of emphasis on that, especially with more and more SWAs having a direct influence in the hiring process. And so I think that one thing that needs to continue to get better are being able to have head coaches that aren't afraid to lose their assistant coaches and be able to push them and be able to make calls and really help them reach their goals of being a head coach. And so I think that has a lot to do with it. And I'm not saying that every coach out there isn't doing so, but I think that as an AD or a SWA, if you're getting a call from a head coach who's really working to talk to you about their assistant coach, one, they're either doing so because they want to get rid of them, <laughs> but they're also doing it because they, they really believe in that person and that they really want to help them reach their career goals. We we mentioned search firms as a trend. Are there any other trends that you've seen in the coaching profession, not in addition to hires, but just coaching profession, professional development that have come over from the men's side of the game to the women's side? You know, one of the things that, that I've really done is, you know, there used to be a conference called Villa 7. And it was big on the men's side. They had done a little bit on the women's side. And so for me, I had started a conference called the Head Coach Training Center. And I did so with the intent that it would be similar, maybe not initially or within the first couple of years, but grow into a similar setting of Villa 7. And what that does is allows aspiring head coaches the opportunity to learn what it takes to become a head coach, and also how to be successful in that role. While also it allows coaches the opportunity who want to coach at a higher level or continue to develop as head coaches an opportunity to learn. And so we incorporate numerous athletic directors, numerous athletic administrators, senior women's administrators, as well as current successful Division I head coaches that teach these strategies to coaches about how to obtain a position and then be successful in that role. And so that's one of the things I've really kind of taken from the men's side to bring over to the women's side to be able to, one, not just allow them that opportunity to learn, but to network and also give back to the coach profession in general, because I can only take on so many clients. And so I think it's great to be able to provide something for any coach that may want to attend at this point. Great. I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to mention your head coach training center as well. Uh, so Brian, so that is open to open to all coaches or is it limited just to your clients? No. So what the head coach training center is, is right now it's open to any men's, women's basketball coach that wants to attend. Obviously the speakers in terms of head coaches are women's basketball coaches. But in fact, we have a lot of men's coaches that will want to come because it allows them an opportunity to learn the same strategies that they would need to learn anyway on the men's side in terms of pursuing positions, but also network with the athletic administrators that are that are present at the event. So right now it's open to anyone. I think my goal is to eventually get it to be invitation only and continue to do a session that would be open to anyone and everyone. But yeah, it's it's wide open right now to anyone that wants to take advantage of it. Do you have details for this year's training center available? 
Sure. So it's May 21st to the 23rd at Mohegan Sun Pocono in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. You can go on my website to look for more information, which is www.thebdsagency.com backslash HCTC. And all the information will be up on there. But we have outstanding speakers coming this year that range from BCS level down to low Division One and uh, probably have about five to eight Division One athletic directors coming. So it's going to be a great learning and networking opportunity. So when you hear the whistle, it means that we're about to share with you a resource to take away from this conversation that you can use and implement right away in your own success journey. Brian, can you share with us a book that you've read or currently reading that has had impact on your career and you would recommend to our listeners? Sure. So, you know, for me, as a former basketball coach, I was always intrigued, not necessarily with the game of football, but I was always intrigued with football coaches and what they did because, you know, as a basketball coach, you manage uh, 12 to 15 players in most cases, and you manage three to maybe eight staff members, depending on where you're at. And so I always admired that football coaches could have staffs as large as 20, 30 people, but also have up to 100 football players and be able to manage that. So I always read books on football coaches to learn how they've managed their programs. And one of the best books I've ever read is Think Like a Champion by Mike Shanahan. It was after he won the uh, Super Bowl, I think, for the second straight time. And it just talks all about the breakdown of the mentality of a champion. Um, and what really stands out are just the details, the importance of the details in terms of your everyday life um, within the profession. And not just in coaching, but in business in general. And how, you know, some of the little things, I think there's a chapter in there called Sweat the Small Stuff. You know, the opposite of, of what you typically hear. Don't sweat the small stuff because those little things are, are critical. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've recommended it to my clients. Think like a champion. It's, it's an older book, but it's certainly one of the best books that I've ever read. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I feel the same way about football coaches. I mean, they are truly CEOs running and leading an organization. I mean, on, on the field, I think they impact a game more than any other coach. That's just my personal opinion. I've always said if I could coach one sport, I'd love to be a football coach. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and but you're but you're truly right. They they truly are CEOs and I think that uh think like a champion is is a, is a great recommendation uh for our listeners. Thank you for that. So, Brian, thank you so much for taking time to be on Beyond the Whistle, especially during what I know is a busy time of the year for you. you know, I mentioned your Twitter handles earlier, but can you please share with us again where listeners can learn more about you on Twitter and your website as well? Sure, sure. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at BDStan, or you can check out more information on uh, my agency and, and my work with coaches, which is uh, www.thebdsagency.com. I try to not just promote my clients on social media, but also provide little tidbits towards aspiring coaches or coaches moving up in the profession or any anything within the industry that I think would be valuable to share. So obviously this time of year becomes a little bit tougher to share that information while I'm so so busy, but that's my information and I'm always 
always happy to provide any insight to coaches that may reach out and desire to learn a little bit more about what they can do to, to move up in the profession. I think it's always good. I haven't been a former coach myself, knowing that, you know, there's a lot to learn and I want to be someone that can be able to at least provide maybe one or two tidbits to help someone break into the profession if I'm able to. Well, Brian, thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate Brian taking time to join the show during what is a busy time of the year for him. I share Brian's interest in studying football coaches and encourage you to check out his recommended book, Think Like a Champion, Building Success One Victory at a Time by former NFL coach Mike Shanahan. There's a link to the book in the show notes where you will also find links to Brian on Twitter, the BDS agency website, and their head coach training center. Lastly, as we are now in that time of the year of the coaching carousel of college basketball, it is an unfortunate reality that some coaches are being let go by schools. And I say unfortunate because it's never good to see anyone lose their job. I think we lose sight of the fact that a termination, even if there is a monetary buyout involved, impacts lives. In addition to the impact on a head coach or his or her assistant coach's careers, their families impacted as well. Spouses and children most likely have to uproot and move. And there is also impact on the institution and its athletic director and leadership. Every coaching hire is made enthusiastically with the belief that the relationship and the program will be successful, but it may not always turn out that way. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast app you use. It's the best way to stay updated with the release of new episodes. Let's also connect on Twitter at Odell McCants or at McCants Sports. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Whistle.